Section 19 of the Junior Classics, Volume 9, Stories of Today. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Corey M. 7721. On a Slideboard by Robert Barnes. At three o'clock on an August morning, the press in the little printing office on the summit ceased its clatter, and Corey Green brought out a bundle of stars wrapped in enameled cloth to Bart Collimore. Here's your five hundred, said Corey, hot from the tights. All right, replied Bart. They'll be on the hotel counters twenty-six miles away by six. They walked down the platform before the summit house, a dim light illuminating the office, but the rest of the long building was dark. Only two other persons were awake, Frank Simmons, busy over the printing press, and Luke Martin, the hotel watchman. But in the west frowned a vaporous battlement, black and threatening, from which a strong wind was tearing detached masses and rolling them against the mountainside. Now and then a few flakes of snow flew on by the raw gale. Lifting his slideboard from the platform, Bart set it on the cog rail midway of the track. This rail was bolted to a wooden centerpiece on the ties and consisted of two parallel strips of wrought angle iron connected by steel pins three inches apart on which the cogs of the engine worked. He turned the nut on the brake rod until the iron plates, by means of which the speed of the board was retarded, were in position under the flanges of the rail. Then he pulled on his gloves, jammed his cap down hard, and buttoned his reefer up to his neck. Corey glanced at the black western sky. You're liable to hit the storm going down, said he. Guess I can beat it out, returned Bart. Seating himself on the slideboard, with the bundle of papers between his knees, he gripped the brake handles. Almost of itself, the board began moving. I'll be at the base house in ten minutes, he called back as he sped away down the slope toward the north, while behind him the drone of the wind almost drowned Corey's shout. Good luck! The slideboard was the conveyance used by employees and trackmen in descending the mountain railroad. Although perilous for a novice, it was easy of management for an experienced hand. It was seven-eighths inch spruce, ten inches wide, and something over a yard long. Three cleats screwed across its top kept it from splitting. Underneath were two sets of shoes, the forward of wood, the rear of iron, parallel strips half an inch thick and four inches apart, just far enough for the top of the cog rail to slide between them. As Bart slipped downward, the black buildings on the summit were blotted out by driving clouds. Little by little he swerved westward, turning his back to the dawn, hearing only the hoarse murmur of the rising gale and the rattle of his board. Guidebooks say that the three and one-third miles from summit to base may be covered by slideboard in twenty minutes. Actually, the record is two minutes and forty-seven seconds. This can be appreciated when one remembers that there is a drop of four thousand feet, and that the average grade approximates one in four. Bart had made the trip hundreds of times in his fourteen years on the road. Every morning that summer he had gone down before daybreak, in order that the little paper printed on the peak might have early distribution among the various hotels. Faster and faster sped the board. The top of the rack was abundantly lubricated with oil from the cogs of the engine, and the grade was growing steeper. On the left, a dim shaft, fitted by memorial of a life lost by exposure on the mountain years before. 
Bart put a little more pressure on his brakes. The stout birch handles, somewhat smaller than baseball bats and about as long as the board itself, were connected forward with the brake rod running across the front in a hollow wooden bar and with an iron plate under each flange of the rail. To retard his course, the rider simply pulled up on the handles which were directly under his arms, thus lifting the plates and the flanges and pressing the board down harder on top of the rack. The track curved northwest for the next 1,500 feet to the gulf tank, a water cistern on the left. The grade varied from 1 in 4 to 1 in 8. The wind, keen, strong, and shot with hurrying snowflakes, stung even Bart's seasoned face. He had worked on the mountain long enough to know what was coming out of that inky bank ahead. Gulf tank swept past, a square gray shadow, and the track gradually swung west and now he caught it in good earnest. The moan of the blast had risen to a furious howling. Bullets of sleet pelted his cheeks. Right before him rose a black wall, the edge of the real storm. It looked almost as if it were solid. Catching his breath, he ducked his head and bolted straight into the heart of the tempest. In a second, it enveloped him. Rain, snow, sleet, and hail. His board whizzed faster over the wet, slippery rail. The grade increased, and he knew he had reached the long trestle. Beyond lay Jacob's Ladder, the steepest place on the line, pitched considerably over one in three. He must not go too fast there. It was more than a mile and a half still to the bottom. If the board once got away from him, Bart stiffened himself against the fierce blast, gripped the brake handles hard, and pulled up on them. A stream of sparks trailed out on each side as the plates bit at the flanges. He was leaning well forward now, boring ahead, foremost into the yelling gale. His eyes were closed. He could not keep them open. Now the trestle was passed and the ladder lay just ahead. He could tell where he was by the feel of the track. His head was clear, his nerves steady. All he needed to do was keep up a good hold on the handles, and the board would soon carry him safely to the base. Suddenly, his speed increased. He had struck the ladder. The grade at its head was not far from one in two. Down he shot, lifting hard on the birch bars. What was that? It could not be that the left brake handle was buckling. Yes, something had given way. Up came his hand, higher, higher, higher. Yet, there was no response of iron grinding against iron. For just a second, Bart felt sick. The flange was only three-fourths of an inch wide. If that left plate once got out from under it, he knew very well what would happen. A single break could never hold the board on the rail. On the next curve, if not before, it would bound from the track with tremendous velocity, and its rider would land somewhere on the rugged mountainside with a broken neck. Somehow, if he cared to live, that plate must never lose its grip on the flange. The ladder was 400 feet long and 30 feet above the rocks at its highest point. Bart was traveling 40 miles an hour, so crossing the trestle took less than 10 seconds. Before he left it, he saw what he must do. Instinctively, easing up on his right bar, so as to bring an even pressure on both sides, he ran his left hand quickly forward down the birch stick to locate the brake. Not many inches from the socket, his fingers found it, where a knurl, imperceptibly weakened by long use, had evidently yielded at last. Sitting where he did, he could just reach beyond this break by extending his arm full length, and he could exert only a slight upward pull. If he hoped to keep the board on the rail, he must immediately shift his position so that he might pull out his full strength. 
several short curves were just ahead. To change one's place on a narrow board flying down a mountainside at 40 miles an hour through a pitch-black hurricane is no fool's task. Very carefully, Bart hitched straight forward until his knees were upright and he was able to lift strongly on the unbroken portion of the bar. His speed was now simply terrific. Round a curve he whisked, leaning far inward in the fear that he might ride the rail. Then, as his board settled down on a straightaway, he pulled up with all his might. To his horror, he found that with so short a leverage he could not press the plate against the flange hard enough to check his speed. The board was running away with him. Bart knew every yard of that track, every pitch and curve from the engine house at the summit to the Marshfield turntable, and he realized that this was the most critical minute in all his years of railroading. Two courses were open to him. He might stick to the board, or he might roll off. Which was the less dangerous? If he rolled off at that speed, the best he could hope for would be a fearful bruising, broken bones, and insensibility. It would be hours before rescuers could find him, and hours in that storm meant death. If he stayed on, he took the chance of being hurled from the rail at some curve. Besides, what would happen if he reached the bottom, if he ever did reach it? He decided to stay on. The slide board took the curves at express speed. Time and again, Bart thought it was flying off. He wondered to find himself still sitting hunched in the spruce. When Wombuck Tank slipped by, he knew it had passed, although he did not see it. But a little more than a mile due west, and almost 1,300 feet lower, lay the terminus. Was this to be his last ride on the line? In a couple of minutes, at the most, the thing would be decided. Bart manned himself for the finish. On he shot, straining at the bars, head down through the pitch darkness. He was dashing against a 40-mile gale at an equal speed. That was equivalent to standing in a hurricane blowing at 80 miles. It shrieked round him with indescribable fury, striving to hurl him backward from his seat. His cap was torn away, and the sleet pattered like a sandblast on his bare skull. Cold spring tank flitted past, and the last deep pitch was near, 1,700 to the mile. In a moment, Bart was rushing madly down the descent. His head swam with the hideous speed. His board vibrated and trembled as it hurtled along the track. All seemed unreal, uncanny, but although dazed and buffeted it, he never for an instant loosed his grip of the bars. A green man might have lost his head, and that could have had but one result. Almost sooner than he could think, he was at the bottom of the pitch, darting over the Amansuk Bridge, only a few hundred feet more, the track he knew was clear to its end, for cars and engines were housed for the night. Now for one last long, hard pull. Deaf, blind, numb, exhausted, bent almost double. He drained his strength to the dregs for a clutch on the handles. Then he lifted as if he would tear the flange from the centerpiece. There was a terrific shrieking as the iron surfaces ground together. Fire followed each break. A building rushed by on the right, the carpenter shop. Bart did not actually see it, but he knew it was gone. Then came the car barn, the turntable, the engine house, and the repair shop, and the long woodshed. Less than thirty yards more. His speed was slackening on the level grade, but it was still tremendous. And now the laundry was passed, the last building. Twenty-five feet beyond it, the cog rail ended. Bart threw all that was left of himself into one final mighty wrench. A second later, he found himself rolling blindly along the ties, head over heels and heels overhead, cuffed, punched, 
battered as if a dozen flails were beating him at once on every part of his body. At last he came to a stop, a bruised, dizzy heap. After a little, Bart sat up, tried his arms and legs, and he found he could get on his feet. He felt himself all over. Luckily, his bones were well padded with muscle, so none of them were broken. The storm was still blowing forty miles an hour, but by contrast, it seemed to him to be almost over. He hunted until he found his bundle of papers. It had been tied tightly and had not burst open. Then he limped up to the base house. Here are your stars, he said to the driver of the team shivering outside. I've done my part. Now see if you can get them to Bethlehem before six o'clock. End of section 19.